I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well today. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode is one that I've been wanting to do for a long, long time. And, and I managed to do it, which was great. And that episode is DJ Yoda. I got to sit down with somebody whose music I've always been very, very excited about. And I've been privileged enough that he's come and DJed at the the, the club event I run with Scribbis Pip. Twice now uh, Yoda's come down. Um, but as we discuss in clubs, you don't really get to, to chat to people. You just kind of explain, ex- exchange your pleasantries you know, get them a drink and, and then they're off DJing and then they're gone. So it was nice to, to sit down in a, a much calmer environment and, and chat music with Yoda. And it was an absolute pleasure. He was a um, complete gentleman, as you're about to find out anyway. So before we get on to it, um, firstly, I'd like to thank Mike Lewis for facilitating it and um inviting us into his office and and leading us down into Yoda studio uh, where we we recorded this and I'd like to thank Screwy's Pip and everybody else at the Distraction Pieces Network thanks to 76 for producing this episode thanks to my name is Ad for doing the artwork thanks to you lot for for listening and supporting and and if you do enjoy this um then please if you see us on the social medias give us a like a love a share a retweet and whatever else you want to call it um better still head over to itunes give us a little rating out of five or ten or whatever it is and subscribe that'd be lovely because if you enjoy this episode the back catalog is rammed full of episodes with other djs producers musicians comedians actors go and go and have a little look because there's there's a stack of people and if you're into dj yoda you're going to like a lot of the guests that that have already done this i'm I'm sure of that okay i think that's it oh i'll tell you what if you do really enjoy this and you want to hear more then aside from what's in the back catalog i have a patreon account um www.patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track and on there i put up another episode each week and so you can go and um, go over there and, and, and get more content. And by doing that, um, you'll be supporting what I'm t- where I'm trying to take this podcast. So any help over there is really, really appreciated. I'm done waffling. Let's get on with it. Please enjoy. Off the Beat and Track podcast with DJ Yoda. I've got an announcement. 
Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off so if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whiffin. Right, we are recording. We are in Hackney um, and we're in... Uh, uh, an office with an amazing studio underneath it. I'm surrounded by serious amounts of vinyl, uh, lots of really cool 80s memorabilia, and the biggest shelf of boxes of cereal I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a Bismarcky figure up there. Yeah, in a in a cereal box. Oh, yeah. mate. <laughs> <laughs> that voice you can hear is DJ Yoda. How are you? Good man, good. Thank good you very you. much for doing this. My pleasure. We've we've had a quick quick chat already, and uh, and we have met a couple of times when you've come to DJ for um, me and Pip. Yeah, uh, it's always weird club. when you've only met people in a club though, because it's yeah. not really real life. No, it's very loud and dark, and yeah. everywhere is just. I just equate every place like that as the same place. Yeah, so it, it's really weird because as much as it's Pip and I's night, we spend eighty percent of that night outside the front of it because I don't know about you but you know I've been a, a, a DJ for many 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 years and promoter and stuff and 
you can't have conversations with people in a nightclub. No, can well, you? you can, but the, you never really fully can communicate. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, but I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm chatting to someone in a club, a lot of the time I'm just nodding and smiling and yeah. saying yes. Yeah. And I've got no idea what the other person is saying. <laughs> <laughs> and you just keep on doing that until you get a confused reaction on the other person's face and be like, oh, not yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> that does apply to podcasts as well. So if I see you doing that, mate, well, I'll, I'll pull you on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I got your songs in advance, and as we've established uh, pre-pressing record, uh, you... Are... I already can't remember what I sent you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's good, because you said that you literally, as soon as you got the list, when... Because when I sent them to Mike, I should say thank you very much for facilitating this. Um, when I sent them to him, within five minutes, the list come back. So you'd rattled them off. I just fired off. it off, yeah. yeah. I, I've got a lot of promo going on at the moment because my album's about to come out. Yep. And during that period, it's a lot of people wanting mixes yep. or interviews or answers to things. Yep. So I'm just kind of like, bat them away as they come. Yeah. Uh, so I did do this one really kind of stream of consciousness style. Um, yeah. Genuinely can't remember what I've sent, so let's find out whether I agree with myself. Okay, that sounds interesting. Track one is the song with the greatest intro. Yes. Well, that's a funny one for me to answer because obviously I DJ every week in all these different environments and a really big part of my, not only my DJ set, but also my AV shows that I do is the intro. Yeah. So I'm always thinking about intros and I'm, I always want them to be as epic as possible. And what I've ended up doing for a lot of shows is designing my own intros and kind of producing my own intros to make them as big and as epic as possible. I really like um, filmic orchestral type intros i think mm -hmm. that's definitely the most powerful stuff um so i do remember what i answered for this one with uh, adam f and smash something great choice um so i've got a little insight in into this um purely because uh one of the djs also djs for, for pip and i a guy called dj destruction and uh he was someone that i went to school with and discovered hip-hop and after a few years, the rest of us went off and found other musics and stuff like that. And he was someone that just had the blinkers on and just immersed himself and got into, you know, bought, bought turntables at school, and then ended up doing DMC and, uh, and 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 doing really really well. And out of the blue, because Adam at that point was predominantly drum and bass, really well, I mean, wasn't that's it? That's how I knew him as a drum and bass DJ. Yeah, yeah. and so. What happened, so when you when I see that you chose this song, I thought I'm gonna ring up this or Ross, not distraction, I'm gonna ring up Ross and, and just find out a little bit about that track. And uh and he said like when they had the album initially put together, like the the, the, the sort of the, the early parts of it, it was gonna be more drum and bass and a little bit more experimental. And then that track become more of an eighties electro style record. And he said, and then when they gave it to uh Redman, isn't it? Yeah. Uh he'd done this vocal for it and then they ended up developing it again and then they were like do you know what let's just make a straight up hip-hop yeah i was gonna say i mean none none of that uh yeah electronic stuff or drum and bass stuff is remains as a remnant in any of that album yeah. it's a hip-hop album as far as i'm concerned so they put it back together that become this epic banger of a tune red man then revocaled it and uh on the understanding the deal was struck that it could go on Adam's album, 
but he wanted it on his album as well. Yeah, because it was so good. Yeah. I mean, basically, once something comes out like that, everyone's like, I want a piece of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they used a real orchestra, didn't they? They used the Royal Symphonia. Oh, right. There you that, go. Um, that at the time, we just finished scoring a Batman movie. And, uh, and yeah, and it was, it was all done at the... That was at the Olympic Studios. Wow, you've got all the skinny on this, didn't I you? I have, I have, mate. And uh, But the actual track itself was uh, put together at Mirror Image Studios in New York. Right. And uh, Well, and it really it comes across that it's a proper orchestra. I mean, yeah. you can recreate all these kind of sounds with um, computers these days, yeah. and you can get a whole orchestra just from a plug-in, um, but you can tell the difference when it's yeah. real, and that's why I like the intro of that track, because it does sound like... Yeah. That's the closest to, like classical music you'll mm. get me listening to yeah <laughs> or like i guess movie soundtrack stuff as well yeah, yeah yeah so was there any i mean having thought about it maybe a little bit more now would there have been any other because you can have some honorable mentions in here as well is there anything else that i really like all the um uh big hollywood movie studio intros before films so the oh, 20th okay. century fox yeah. and the universal and all yeah. those and I, and there are like weird remixes of all those as well so i like it when whenever anyone remixes those things what are they called there's probably a name for them but i don't know what they are you have no idea yeah, yeah. there must be <laughs> a name I mean. for them. yeah yeah <laughs> that, i heard like a dub version of the 20th century fox one <laughs> which was really cool uh so yeah stuff like that um and yeah, I'm a big fan, like I say, of like I collect kind of shout outs from people and then put it over epic explosions and yeah. orchestral stuff. And I'm big on intros and yeah. outros. Yeah. In fact, the other day I was playing a show and I was with someone who I kind of I trust that I can talk to yeah. about. They can be critical of me and I, yeah. I can take it. And he was like, mate, I think you need to calm down on the intro a little bit. The intro is taking up most of your your set now. <laughs> like t- 10 minutes into DJ and I'm still doing the intro. <laughs> but I could do that. I could do like a whole two-hour set of intro. That would be a cool idea. Brilliant. Just two hours of different people shouting your name yeah. over these monster Just, intros. And then at the very end be like, okay, the intro's over and so's the set. Bye. <laughs> Wasn't self-indulgent in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, if I remember rightly, the last time you DJed Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of my favourite intros is, and I'm sure you used it in your set, and I'm going to be embarrassed if you didn't, did you use Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears? Oh, yeah, I would have done, yeah. That's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? It's just yeah. got an epic quality to it, yeah. in a very 80s way. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Well, I don't... Uh, my uh, love of 80s pop is, is yeah. well documented. I don't need to sit here and tell yeah. you that I like 80s pop. But it's it, but the funny thing is with that 80s stuff is that some of it I can kind of separate myself and be like, well, actually, objectively, maybe this isn't very good music because there's a real kind of rose-tinted spectacles way of looking at the past. And when you've grown up with certain music, you can't help but love it. It's, kind of, it's in your DNA. Mm. And so what's interesting to me is kind of being trying to, as I'm an adult now, picking apart the stuff that's like, was actually good quality music in the 80s. And I would put that Tears for Fear stuff in that bracket. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, regardless of the 80s-ness, it is actually good yeah. music. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's been really weird. Like, since doing this podcast, um, they're, they're one of the bands, Tears for Fears, that kind of, when people look back at the 80s and 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 whether you call it alternative rock, whatever you call Tears for Fears, like they don't get the kind of nods that maybe U2, REM, The Smiths, The Cure get. Yeah. They, they don't get in. Yet 
they were a global stadium band oh, selling huge. millions and millions yeah. of records. But it's funny, you can't put them in as much of a bracket as something like Pet Shop Boys, yeah. who are so, like, you, the second you hear them, you know yeah. it's Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. And they still continue to make music now, Pet Shop Boys, yeah. and sound like they always did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it was just hardest to put a finger on. Uh, Tears for Fears, yeah. but they, what epic stuff! And it's like, and it has lasted, and a lot of it through you know, stuff like Donnie Darko, yeah. or you know, yeah, of course, things yeah. that kind of like, yeah, you know, bring it back up again. And and, and to to sort of where I was sort of going with that was the fact that so many people that have been on this podcast have shouted Tears for Fears, really, yeah. So you know that. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they've earned their stripes. Yet they don't really seem to get the props that I think maybe they. Yeah, well, I think the track, what I played wasn't really like the original song, was it? It was like, I think it sampled that that kind of, those epic pianos in it and put it to a hip-hop beat. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty much my modus operandi, isn't it? Just take bits and then put them to beats. Yeah. That is what it says. Seems to work for you, card. mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, business, or my gravestone would be like, DJ Yoda took bits and put them over beats. <laughs> is that the CV? Just <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, for, for track two, um, it's the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Ramsey Lewis, Les Fleurs. Okay. I'm not aware of this. Um, and we, do, you, could, do you play the songs on this podcast? What we do, um, purely because of licensing and, and whatnot, yeah. we have an accompanying Spotify playlist for every single one. Right. So, you can so go people have a way that they can hear them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean... What, what was the... Uh, remind me what the actual... The first song that had an emotional uh, yeah. impact on you. So that's actually was a really hard question for me to answer because it made me think and realise something about myself as well, actually, that it took me a long time to even respond to music on that level. I think for from being a kid and an adolescent and maybe even beyond that a little bit, I didn't really respond to music emotionally. And I think I learned that as I got older. Um, I think the stuff that got me into music before that I'm trying to put my finger on it. It's really weird, but I, I, I liked sampling and scratching and just stuff being funny, maybe. So I guess that is kind of an emotional response. Yeah. But it's, but I, when I read that question, like an emotional response to record, I, it, it made me think. Well, do you mean like a serious emotional response? N- not at all. I mean, a lot of people have said like, oh, and I heard this record and and it reduced me to tears. But then mm. a lot of people have, you know, also said, oh, I heard it and it just sounded. It gave me this kind of inspired me an emotion that you know fired me up or or uh, joy yeah i think like it i mean laughter is an emotion but that is the that was was probably the stuff that got me into is that i I used to like comedy records and stuff that made me laugh and my favorite rapper was always biz marquee and he did songs about picking your nose and it's not very emotional but it's kind of quite funny as well um and the first record that i bought was was rolling rat rap we'll get on to that we'll get on to that (laughs) um so yeah, I think when I when I read the question about an emotional response, I thought, well, you probably mean like a serious emotional response. And then, it, yeah, like I say, it took me to until I was in my twenties, I think, um, and I kind of I'd done a proper like the whole nineties. I would listen to nothing but hip hop. I was really close minded about it. I, if it had a guitar, I didn't want to know. If it had a dance beat, I didn't want to know. I was just studying hip hop and hip hop's past and where hip hop was at. And it took until the late nineties when I felt that hip-hop was, t- like, taking a bit of a bad turn, that was the first point that I started looking into other kinds of music and learning yeah. about them. And the first kind of step that I made was to start looking at some of the songs that had been sampled in the hip-hop that I loved. 
Um, so it really meant kind of learning about jazz and funk um, and soul. And something like this Ramsey Lewis track, it was sampled in a Gangstar record. Um, it was it, it's a piano player. It's like famous jazz and Gangstar used it. But then when I heard the song, I was like, okay, this is really different to hip hop for me because hip hop works on loops. You know, that you loop a cool bit and then mm-hmm. that happens for the whole song. And something like this Ramsey Lewis track, you get that loop at the start of the track, but then it actually expands and grows and becomes really big. It, yeah. and, and orchestral, like that kind of Adam F track yeah. we're talking about, it becomes yeah. huge. Um, so it was probably the first time that I'd actually sat down and really appreciated music that did that, which is yeah. an odd thing. Um, yeah, so that's what, probably why it took that long. And the emotion <laughs> would have been what? Uh, well, that's a difficult question to answer as well. It's a kind of... Um, is being overwhelmed in emotion? Yeah, of course. Then yeah, that. <laughs> okay. So you said that, you know, by, by your own admission, you was, you was quite close-minded to other music up until that point, like other than hip-hop. But but pre-hip-hop, like, was you just a normal kid that would be listening to what pop. was on top of the pops? Yeah, and, pop music. Yeah. That's, that's, that was the first music I was exposed to. But my parents both worked in the music industry. Okay. Um, my dad was a manager. Uh, my mum worked for a producer. But it was pop music that I was around and literally pop artists. I mean, my dad managed the Eurythmics at one point. Wow. Yeah. So I was like uh, at Eurythmics video shoots and hanging around with people like Eddie Grant. Holy <laughs> like shit. As a kid. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, you know, I was surrounded by it. My dad kept his record collection in my bedroom. So I was literally surrounded by records. Um, and yeah, I would watch Top of the Pops and have the radio on. And the, the songs that I remember from that period are the ones that I put on the How to Cut and Paste 80s edition. Yeah. That's just the music that I grew up with. Yeah. Think of things like Hey Mickey. and yeah. <laughs> just, that, was, that was what I was exposed to. And it was really in that period in the late 80s when you would get kind of bits of scratching and samples in pop music that led me down the road of hip-hop. Um, so that was the journey, pop, hip-hop. Yeah. And then after hip-hop, that was when I got into all the funk, soul stuff yeah. and reggae. And then... I expanded beyond that and started to learn about country music and drum and bass I got into. Um, and just, yeah, it, 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 I was much older when I started learning about all different types of music. But going back to being a kid and, and, and being on video shoots for the Eurythmics and such, like, was you aware that that was a bit different from what your pals <laughs> were, were doing at weekends and stuff? I was super young. Yeah. Super young. I mean, that started, I was born into that. Yeah. Um, that felt normal then. So it was just my reality, yeah. you know. Um, the Eurythmics video shoot that I'm thinking of, I think we were, we were like on some African island or something, and I was probably about four or five. What was that, uh, yeah. right by your side? Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what song it was. I'd probably work it out by looking at YouTube. Yeah. I've never done that, actually. Um, but I was at gigs. I remember being at various video shoots. I remember hanging around studios. All that was, yeah, was just my normality. So. Did it feel exciting, though? Um do you know, I don't know that it necessarily did. I was probably bored. Yeah. Uh, I was probably hanging around as a kid, like, at my parents' work. Yeah. You know, and that's the way that you view it. So I don't know that it felt different or exciting. It just was my life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know when we were sitting indoors playing on our Commodore 64s, none of my pals were on video shoots. With <laughs> I was doing the Commodore 64 stuff too. That, that was the more exciting best bit to me. <laughs> so... Obviously, you, 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 I, I like to ask guests, was their music on at home growing up? But your dad's 
a music manager and he's, he's dumping his records in your bedroom. Oh, yeah. We, I remember um, when Eddie Grant brought out Gimme Hope, Joanna. Yeah. We had about six crates of the of the seven inches uh, yeah. in my bedroom, just like more copies of it yeah. than you would ever need kind of thing. So, yeah, I was, grew up around records like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's touch upon... I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec then. So let's 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 go to, to track three, which is the, the song that reminds you of your, your time at school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I chose um, Bat Dance by Prince. Uh-huh. Which is a, yeah, that, it does remember me. Yeah, you know what? My... Secondary school, right? This is secondary school, yeah. yeah. And it it kind of speaks to my, the weird uh, relationship I've got to Prince's music. Because he's like... I know, like, oh God, Pip will go mad if you listen to this because yeah. I know how much of a Prince fan he is. Yeah. I, of course I love Prince. Yeah. Let me preface anything that I'm going to say. Like, yeah. Of course I respect and love Prince to a ridiculous level. Yeah. But <laughs> having said that, it never just kind of touched me in the same way as a lot of other pop music and kind of classic yeah. stuff like that did. I used to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I did love um, Alphabet Street loads. Mm-hmm. But the, I think it's just to do with my age and okay. when albums came out. But the Batman soundtrack was always my favourite <laughs> Prince album, which I know is not a like, cool thing to say yeah. or a kind of critically. But it is one of these things where you just look back and it's about nostalgia more than anything else. Yeah, Think about it with Star Wars as well, because Return of the Jedi was always my... St- favorite star wars film but but it's not objectively the best one yeah i just remember that's the one that i remember going to the cinema as a kid and seeing so that's why it's my favorite yeah i know it's not the best and the same with the prince batman album i know it's not the best alphabet street's my favorite too yeah but it's probably same kind of reason right like is it just i have definitely got this theory that how old are you a 41 41 yeah and i i think that the stuff that you enjoy and are exposed to culturally as a 13 14 15 year old sticks for life completely it gets inbuilt into your dna there's nothing you can do about that yeah um and this is this comes to that category i remember being on like a school trip on a coach and just pressing play on that batman album and we just sung along for the whole thing we knew the whole thing inside out and that bat dance record that is an example of like pop music in that era where they started using samples, mm-hmm. bits from movies and yeah. throwing in loops and just, it was kind of very yeah. DJ. Um, so that really inspired me on the same level as something like De La Soul's first album or um, Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique or one of these things that took loads of samples. So it was really important to me. Um, and yeah, that was, that was definitely of an era. So where was school? North London, Highgate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you enjoy school? Yeah, I mean, I was at the same school from age seven to eighteen. Really? Yeah. So I was like, I did love it, but towards the end, I was like, I got to get out of this place. It's <laughs> yeah. driving me mad. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a long time to be at the same school. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, um, and had the same kind of like very close knit group of friends, like three or four of us, and I didn't really deal with anyone else in the school. Yeah. Like they were my they were my good mates. Yeah, they were the ones that listened to the Batman album with. Yeah. Um, and I don't keep in touch with anyone else from school, but I do keep in touch with yeah. those, you know, core friends. I did, I did enjoy it though, and you know, like I, um, it was school and university was like me learning how to be a DJ. Weirdly, like it, it's odd to me that um, I was DJing since school. I was DJing at friends' parties. I was making tapes and everything, and it wasn't anything like it is now. Working in an industry, sure. I was just doing it. Because it was fun, yeah, um, and learning how to 
make other people experience music. Yeah. Yeah. So before university at the school, like you say you used to do mixtapes and DJing parties and things like that. Was was that something that the school would would it, not not so much them sort of things, but would it would they encourage your creativity at school, or was it very much more, you know, maths, English, or was the creative? I think encouraged? my creativity was encouraged at school. Yeah, I remember there being like music clubs and stuff like that, and discussing albums and debating right. lyrics and songs and stuff in a kind of formalized way at school, not just in lunch breaks or whatever. Yeah. You would have after school things yeah. where you chat about records. Yeah, and I do remember doing that, and I remember just the. I mean exchanging mixtapes with mates at school that was a thing and yeah. I still have like I mean you can see you're in my studio now I've got cassettes all around yeah. me they're all my cassettes from school and really? the car that I drive now I've got a tape player in it so every time I come to the studio I like swap tapes around and oh, listen amazing. to tapes and, and it's a much I, I much prefer listening to music in that way than yeah. any other format oh, uh, right. the cassette is just the one for me I don't know why yeah. I like the kind of sound quality of it I like the fact that it's a real pain to like rewind and fast forward yeah. to the next songs that you're forced to like sit through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I still listen to the tapes that me and my friends made age 16 at school, uh, recorded off pirate radio in London yeah. and just, yeah, reggae stuff and hip hop stuff. And so at that age, um, obviously looking at what you've done since and, and, and the, the way that you craft what, what you do as an artist, was you deconstructing music then, even like the stuff you was hearing, was you trying to work out, well, that's that, and then that, if I separate that from that, then you've got that. Was that something? Yeah. Like, but I'm talking pre, pre getting into hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. I've yeah. got mixtapes here um, that I made using a pause button and my radio. Yeah. And I would get the like first bit of the song that I liked and p make a loop out of it. And then I'd cut songs up so that I just had the one chorus that I like from them or just the second verse bit yeah. that I like so it was about breaking stuff down and I think that my um my personality is such that I get bored very quickly uh -huh. I flick channels a lot when yeah. I'm watching tv and I can't settle on a radio station I've yeah. got to like keep moving around the yeah. dial and so it was just kind of a reflection of how I wanted to experience music short attention span yeah um and I love the idea from the start of putting little bits from TV programs and films that I liked in with the music. Mm. So I would just make this kind of like great big hodgepodge of bits from comedy programs that I yeah. liked and pop songs and bits of hip hop. And yeah, that was just the way that I definitely approached stuff. It's mad because I, I had this like um, little Casio keyboard thing that you could sample really crap quality. Yeah. Um, and I remember getting it for a birthday and I remember the first thing that I wanted to sample was from Jungle Brothers' second album. It was the first song of Jungle Brothers' second album. And I just wanted to like make the first lyrics in the album go around on loop. And uh, I, I remember playing around with that with this little keyboard. And now, you know, I record with Jungle Brothers. Like, yeah. They're on my new album. And I, I got the chance to say to Bam the other day, you know, you were like the first voice that I ever sampled. That's amazing. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Uh, and the other thing, like that first period of like getting hip-hop albums, I, got, I remember getting the Jungle Brothers album, the Ed O.G. album, who's also on my new album. <laughs> it's like, I've, I, 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 to begin with, I thought maybe it's like a coincidence that I'm yeah. working with all these people that I, they were the first hip-hop yeah. albums. I was like, this isn't a coincidence. I've manifested this. I've yeah. made it happen because that's the first hip-hop that I remember. Yeah. And I, I want to revisit that and yeah. get to it. So I'm literally but it's touring with Ed O.G. in though. April, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Hello. 
I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I want to talk about how you you you, you, you got into hip hop, and, and we'll follow this question. We, 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 I think this question will lead into that anyway. But um, let's uh, let's go back first to uh, the first record you remember buying. Yeah, well, that would be Rolling Rap, rap yeah. rapping. That, was that your entry point to hip hop? That was probably was. I mean, you <laughs> it joke. Probably was. You joke, but it, it no, it, it actually was. <laughs> it actually was. I liked comedy. Yeah. I liked pop. And yeah. There was this period in the late eighties where there'd be all these comedy rap records, yeah. and they're all piss takes. Yeah. But that was what got me into hip hop. Yeah. I mean, I liked that kind of thing. Yeah. I was a big Roland Rat fan. I had a Roland Rat um, teddy bear, which yeah. I still got. Uh, and I used to watch him on TV, and then yep. he brought out a rap record with yeah. a video called Rap Rapping. And I, I'm, I'm certainly not hating on that because I, I bought it as well. And <laughs> and it was, it, I mean, it was, Rolling Rap was huge, wasn't he? It? it was yeah. like this. It was like uh, Breakfast TV. Yeah, TV AM. And that was when there was like three or four channels. Yeah. So it was. You'd you get know. a 15 minute skit of Rolling Rap, but in the summer holidays, you'd get like a, a half hour one. Yeah. Like you'd get a yeah. little bit more. And yeah, and it was put out a. A record of, of, of rap rapping. Might, I think it went to number one, didn't it? I think it did, yeah. yeah. And in that same period, you had like Mel Brooks doing rap records. You had Kenny Everett doing rap records. The Liverpool football team did a rap Anfield record. Rap, yeah. yeah. There was this whole kind of thing of like, it was really cliche, yeah. just kind of like, 
it was kind of what British people thought American hip hop sounded yeah. like. So it was really cheesy. And there was stuff like Morris Minor and the Morris Minor and the Majors and my yeah. other one, Stutter Rap. I've yeah, got, Stutter Rap. I got that on twelve and seven. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that song. I mean, I, I you know that was definitely of the same yeah. era. Um, I mean, this is utterly shit music that I do not. Rep- <laughs> if you don't know these songs, I'm certainly We're not edit recommending this podcast just to this bit. Put it out. <laughs> don't, don't go out there, seek out these songs and listen to them. I, I did think about making a mixtape once about like of all that kind of thing, yeah. but I went and visited the music. I was like, it's objectively yeah. pretty bad music. Yeah, it's pretty dreadful. But it was an entry into hip hop. I yeah. mean, it really was. Um, because it was rapping and it had yeah. scratching on it, and then it kind of made sense of the of the next steps for me. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember where you bought it? Oof. Uh, it might have been Loppy Lugs in Edgware. Loppy Lugs. Yeah, Loppy Lugs in that. Edgware. Which um, I tell you, who worked in there was Richard Russell, right? Of XL. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely bought my first Biggie Smalls uh, twelve inches off him. We, right. We, we've worked that out in later yeah. years. Yeah. So that was kind of the record shop that we used to go to. Um, and I, t- I saved up and bought turntables. You know, a, a friend of mine from school's older brother, he kind of advised me on you want the Technics ones. And oh, so, and, oh, mate, you got 1210s as well. Yeah, well, I've kind of, by this point, I'd ruined my parents' hi fi and trying to scratch and ruined a bunch of records as well. Um, but yeah, I figured out that I needed to save up for Technics, bought them, had all my Roland Rat records and my Morris Minor and the Major records and then my dad's records. Uh, and then I just didn't have any friends that were DJs. I didn't know anyone that did that. There was no YouTube. <laughs> there was no way to like work out how to be a DJ. So yeah. I probably wasted about two years trying to figure out how to do this completely yeah. wrong, wrecking needles, wrecking yeah. records, um, and learned the long and hard way <laughs> yeah but that's that's quite punk rock isn't it it's uh, like, I don't know yeah. learning it yourself if I could go back it would be pretty amazing to have someone to show me the ropes I think yeah. I would have been probably technically a better DJ but there is something in it in like learning what not to do first yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay so what was the first sort of records then you know let, let's not dwell on Morris Minor and the Majors or Roland Rat or Roland Rat um, when did a hip hop record come out that you just thought, "Fuck, this is this is me." Yeah, there's there's a handful uh, from the same period that I remember. I think the very first ones, like proper hip hop records that I liked, were Salt and Pepper, Gangstar, Gangstar's first album, Ice T, Big Daddy Kane. Is that Power? Yeah, it probably would have been Power. Thinking about it, this was the first the Ed O G Jungle Brothers as well. This, this is probably like 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't understand a lot of it. And I think that at the same time, just after that NWA came out, straight out of Compton, and I remember being at Ben Portner's house and listening to the cassette of that and being, yeah. oh my God, they swear so much. Yeah. Let me hear that again. Yeah. <laughs> like, And that was kind of the appeal was just that they swore a lot. Yeah. Like, And I think as a kind of teenage boy that's really exciting I'm a, I'm a few years older than than you mate and um dj destruction that we've, we've spoke about already he i'd kind of moved away from listening to hip-hop and, and we used to be able to get this ferry from tilbury to gravesend in, in where we lived and uh, we went over to gravesend like 14 and 15 year old kids and uh and he went to this record shop and he come back and he went um 
and he bought two copies of this this 12 that were straight out of Compton. And we went back to his house. And at the time, I don't think he had 1210s. I think he had Citronic decks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and he put this on. And like you, straight away, I just thought, oh, I swear a lot in this. But when I heard them horns, yeah, I was like, because I kind of like rock music as well. And I was like, this is like heavy. Mm. This like, this well, I felt like that about uh, Public Enemy yeah at the time and that was the first time that i remember like oh this is powerful like it's there's a lot going on here. there's yeah. a lot to unpick yeah um yeah I, well, I mean you look back now and all this kind of 1991 hip-hop it was a great year yeah. i mean there's a lot of stuff going on there was brand nubian that i yeah. remember as well Dela. yeah exactly yeah Dela soul's first album which yeah. this week i gave a talk on really which, yeah which was really interesting just like sat down and just gave a lecture on three yeah. feet high and rising um which was super satisfying because it does like heart back to that period that i first got into hip-hop and it explains a lot about everything that i've done since yeah. personally like it really just got into me like to try and make music like that yeah. even this new album i'm about to bring out like that's the the technique that i used was like what i heard on the, those public enemy and della soul yeah. records at the time was like sampling and just thinking about you start with other people's bits of music and then you build on that yeah Amazing. Track five, the song that soundtracked your clubbing years. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that's a weird question to ask me, the song that soundtracked my clubbing years, because I never was on the other side of the turntables. Yeah. Never. That is not my interest. Yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? Like, I work behind turntables in clubs yeah. week in, week out. Yeah. Yet, if that wasn't my job, I wouldn't be there. It's, I'm really glad you said that because I've worked in that industry for 28 years now and the thought of going to a club has no interest for me whatsoever. I'm not 45, I shouldn't be in a club anyway. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Like, unless I'm <laughs> DJing or promoting. But um, but when I was 18, I didn't really want to be in a club. I yeah. wanted to watch DJs. Yeah. I love watching DJs. But in a club, I was never really... A, a, Never really about dancing. Yeah. I was never really about Can you drugs. Dance? No, I can't dance. That's why people that can't dance become DJs. Yeah. Like, That's a well-known <laughs> fact. <laughs> so true. Uh, I wasn't about drugs. Yeah. I wasn't about like losing it. I'm not really a, much of a drinker, but I was super interested in the technical side of what yeah. was going on with the music. Yeah. So when I did go to clubs, it was stuff like um, Blue Note in um, Old Street and watching the drum and bass DJs or Cold Cut and Ninja Tunes or the Mo Waxler or Giles Peterson. And I was just, I was interested in the records and how they were mixing the records and that's why those records. a great time to be at Blue Note, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And that's kind of the, the clubs that I remember going to. But um, when I think about clubbing, I just think about DJing. Yeah. Like, I'm the DJ. I don't yeah. like, I don't throw my hands in the air. Yeah. I'm concentrating. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a absolutely. Um, so on, on the times that you... Yeah, I suppose you've answered that really. I'll try and sort of say what, you know, ask guests what they wanted from clubbing, but I guess the anorak in you was just. I was a nerd. Yeah. I was a nerd. Yeah. Like that, a proud nerd. Like, yeah. That side of things just doesn't, it's not me. Yeah. You know, I would rather analyze something or make something. Yeah. Than be in the. I'm different with films. Like, uh, you know, other bits of culture, I can very much be the punter. Yeah, but I think I just it's maybe it's just been you know twenty five years of being in clubs. That's yeah. But then I you know I, I I think back to when I was eighteen and twenty and 
yeah, uh, that wasn't my interest. Like yeah. clubbing was wasn't my interest. And do you think some of that comes from from working in that environment? You sort of see behind the curtain. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. and I think you just when you're analysing something, that's what you're doing. You yeah. can't enjoy it on any other level. Yeah, it happens a lot with me with music. I, yeah. I hear something and I'm like, I'm straight away picking apart the production of it. Yeah. As opposed to just that's why that question about like having an emotional response to yeah. something is a bit harder with music for me because yeah. I'm thinking about it in different terms. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a point where I was like, maybe I shouldn't be a DJ because it might ruin it. It might ruin music for me. Yeah. It doesn't, but I have to put on a different yeah. hat to like enjoy stuff on a personal level yeah. and not on a critical level. But being a promoter has definitely ruined clubbing for me. Like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I can't go to a club and, and enjoy it. I, I'm literally watching what everyone's doing and I'm, I just can't I love people watching yeah and I love uh, I love chatting to people I'm, I'm yeah. not antisocial yeah but I, I'd rather be in a pub I think yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs> but anyway we didn't discuss the actual song that, that I chose no at all. god of course not let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's discuss that yeah well, it was Black Gold of the Sun right yeah the Four Hero remix the Four Hero remix yeah and, th- and the reason that that kind of when I think about clubbing in inverted commas that that comes to my head is that Really, the like few years where I learned to DJ yeah. was when I was at university, and that was just the practice that I got of playing in front of people and figuring out what crowds want and how to give it to them. And this really dates when I was at university, but the kind of the club night that I was resident at when I started uni there was an acid jazz night. Okay, yeah, and I, it was the years that I was. DJ in there that it kind of mutated from an acid jazz thing to a oh, trip hop was really big yeah. at that point so it went into that kind of hip hop and trip hop and drum and bass what's this 93, 94 <sighs> don't know yeah <laughs> you can date it by that record whatever yeah. year, year that four, her- four hero so are we talking about JTQ and all stuff like that as well and the cool a bit later and... than that I think yeah. yeah I think this is like the the kind of prime years of ninja tune right oh nice yeah that kind of yeah. sound um um, I remember, like you, I would try and sneak in as much hip hop as I could, but then people wanted to hear kind of more melodic, funky stuff as well, and it became a tradition that, like, the last half hour of the night, you go drum and bass, yeah, and you always end it on drum and bass. That's just the way that it worked. Yeah. Drum and bass was just like it was a great point back then. Yeah. That was like Ronnie Size and yeah. LTJ Bookham and all that. Um, so it was about that kind of transition, lifting the crowd up from this kind of soulful, funky stuff they'd be listening to, to a much higher tempo. Yeah. And that song literally does it. You have like three or four minutes of just kind of very soulful, yeah. melodic music. And then it just hit, kicks in with the drum and bass tempo. And I just remember using that song to like lift the crowd up and then yeah. go drum and bass for the rest yeah. of the night. Um, so that's, yeah, I kind of equate that song with clubbing. So starting off sort of DJing as a club level DJ, um, when you first started at the, the, the club you're just speaking about now was was you comfortable DJing was you nervous or I don't think I was really nervous maybe when I first started I mean I remember my very first like DJing in public was in this crappy North London club in like a basement it was really rubbish in there um, and I'd like super planned out what I was going to do with every song and uh, and my mate Damien from school came with me um, and I was like playing the songs and then I, I, put, I put on the record and then Damien was like, I'm going to help him by like 
picking up the record off the turntable and putting it back in the sleeve and he like took the needle off the record that was playing so it was just like and then silence in a club and it's like oh and it's the, crushed yeah crushed <laughs> and there's still stuff like that that happens because the technology fails or something yeah. fails and it's happened to me in front of huge crowds yeah. like just everything goes silent yeah so you still got to deal with that you comfortable with it now i'm totally comfortable with djing like i don't ever get nervous it's yeah. just not a thing that happens but i worry about the technology yeah so i don't i'm like feel confident in everything that i'm gonna do yeah but i'm scared that the technology will fail me and it does yeah and how are you when that happens now you just got to get through it there's no choice yeah. i mean you can't run yeah so you just style it out yeah. <laughs> crash down in the dj booth behind the decks yeah yeah just hide <laughs> or wear a lizard mask that's what you want to do mate that's the perfect way out of it all right, track six. A favourite song from an artist from your home county or country. I guess you've have you interpreted this as country? I don't know. Let's show me what I put. Uh, clever one. Oh yeah, that was that was a clever one. Yeah. I've twisted this. Mm. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, home county is London. Yeah. Um, and that's a weird thing to like say. What's your favourite music out of London? Because yeah. there has been a fair bit of music of out of London. So I just I think my brain just went immediately to what's my favourite kind of music probably old school hip hop. Yeah. Most old school hip hop doesn't come from London except that da, 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 Slick Rick does. He does. Kind of. I mean yeah. he does. Yeah. Uh but he moved as a kid to America. Yeah. Um but that is kind of what made Slick Rick stand apart is yeah. that he had this weird hybrid accent. Uh and he's he's more, you know, his accent is more American than English, but it's the English parts of it that make him yeah. sound cool and different. Yeah. Um and yeah, that's Slick Rick's first album. I mean, I I chose Children's Story for this track, but it doesn't really get much more classic than that and his storytelling and just the basicness yeah. of the beats and yeah I, that's that is like 80s music that stands up today yeah in, in a great way have you seen him yeah um man i can't remember specifically where i know i have i think i saw him in the states and not in uh not in the uk i think i saw him in something in new york probably in about 2002 or something yeah. oh, I, don't know, I don't know Okay, um, and so also aside from sort of Blue Note, what what other sort of venues growing up was you was you sort of loitering in? Whew, that's a good question. I I really think the first thing that comes to mind are the places where I was DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, even though I was young, I was in these places. I think even around Shoreditch, like three three three, Fabric when it first started. Um, Bar Rumba, uh, on Wardour Street or Carnaby Street or wherever. Wardour Street, yeah. So is that Joel Shaftesbury Avenue? Yeah, yeah. where Charles Peterson, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, these kind of drum and bass and uh, yeah, weirdly enough, like it wasn't really hip hop that I was going out and DJing clubs in it. I've always been like not in the middle of a scene. <laughs> I guess I'm on the outskirts, outskirts of everything. It's better um, to be stylish than fashionable, mate. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's just the way that I operate. Like, I never immerse myself in the hip-hop scene even so much. Yeah. I was, like, on the outskirts of it. Uh, and the same with a lot of other different scenes. So I would take in a bit of everything. But, yeah, it's that's just the way that I've operated. And it's sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of an island. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, but it's it's given me longevity. I Absolutely, think. because within all this time that I've been DJing, I've watched DJs who ally themselves to one very specific sound come up and go down. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
Um, and because I don't do that, I'm just my own thing. Uh, I just kind of keep on going. Well, let's talk about uh, what you're going to and, uh, and and what is your your own thing at the moment. New record, new album is is literally just about to come out. Um, and that's a it's a such a different album musically for me that at, so, at one point I was thinking, well, maybe this isn't even a DJ Yoda album. It sounds it's such a departure to I think the sound that people might associate me with. That I was thinking maybe I need to come up with a new name for this. Really? Yeah, and I thought about that for a while, and it really struggled as usual. It's really hard to come up with names for things, um, and then I just kind of accepted. You know what? This is a progression. Like, I just act in my age. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to make music that is more representative of what I actually would like to listen to. And so, so, so describe that a little bit. Uh, I guess I kind of accidentally made a jazz album i mean it's, yeah it's like a jazz soul kind of an album okay. a lot of uh live instruments on it it was all recorded at abbey road it's very grown up who have you worked with on that <laughs> um loads of people like i was really lucky to work with like a lot of the people that at the top of this kind of wave of uk jazz that's happening right now so i'm talking about people like henry Wu. Nibaya Garcia, Theon Cross, they're all crushing it in that world at the moment. And I was really lucky to get them on board. But then legends like Omar, uh, Jungle Brothers, Ed O.G., uh, people like Joel Culpepper, Andrew Ashong. There's loads of collaborators on it. Um, and I really tried to make songs rather than just beats. Yeah. So there's a lot of melody on there. And it's, yeah, it's a very... Sunday morning kind of an album, yeah. very chilled. I'm super proud of it. I feel so more satisfied with it than anything I've done before, um, because I guess it just feels a bit more mature. Yeah. Um, but I'm very, yeah, very happy with it. Are you generally quite critical of what you do? Yeah, I am. I I, I can listen back to things that I've done and think they're crap. Yeah. Um, but I definitely kind of work with this mindset of like trying to be the opposite of a perfectionist just get the idea out and get it out and move yeah. on and try not to tinker for too long because yeah. i think that um the most fun part of creativity is the start coming up with the idea yeah of course and then the longer you work on something the more annoying it gets until yeah. like weeks later you're like tinkering with the snare volume of you yeah. know it just drives that bit it just drives yeah, me insane yeah, yeah. i'm just like this point this point is probably not even worth slaving over yeah because the main thrust of the thing that you're getting is the idea in the first place yeah um so because of that there is i don't go back and listen to anything that i've done really unless yeah. i have to because it's pretty painful yeah. i have to just like grit my teeth and think oh, i could, could have done that better yeah could have spent more time on this yeah. and there are some things that i find unlistenable now. yeah um and it's funny because the other thing that i've been doing uh in the last few weeks is putting together so i'm going to bring out a kind of usb with 20 of my mixes on throughout my whole career from right from the very start up to the present day all my cut and paste mixes because none of them are on spotify or itunes yeah. or anything like that the stranger things mix that i did like yeah. loads of them there's there's 20 and there's some video mixes as well so i've compiled it all together on one usb that you're Amazing. able to buy so that it did take some going back and looking at the different things that i've done yeah. and trying to work out well what what do i think stands the test of time and what yeah. doesn't and it's been interesting to assess that. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you, you say there's some things that you listen back and you think, "Oh God, that that's a, you know, I wish I would have done that." And but then that's that's the journey, isn't it? It's, it's it's obviously you know you develop as an artist, don't you? The other side of that is to 
never get stuff done. Yeah. And I've seen that. I mean, I grew up with DJs who I thought were technically better than me and never really made a career of it. Yeah. For that exact reason, because they were like, ah, this isn't perfect. I'm not going to bring it out. Yeah. And that mindset will just stop you yeah. getting stuff done. So you've got to have a thick skin. I mean, I've had people like give bad reviews or like say stuff that I've done is crap and that's fine. That's totally cool. I'm Do you just, take it on the chin when that happens? I totally like, I just got to keep, keep it moving. I'm doing yeah. this because really I stop when I'm happy with something. Yeah. So if, if you're happy with something that you've made, it really doesn't matter. Job done. Yeah. I, and I'm, I, it, it, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but I genuinely don't care what anyone makes of this album. Yeah. I know that I am really happy with it. Yeah. Um, so it could get all the bad reviews in the world. It could be a complete flop. And I would be exactly the same as if it went the other way. Okay. What's I, it called? Home Cooking. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just it's jazzy and kind of like quite close to my heart as well. That's that, that was where the thinking came from. Final track, DJ Yoda. A song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Hmm. Course it is. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, if you asked me to like, just if I could just play one song to loads of people, yeah. I'd go for Steinsky, uh, Lesson Three. Yeah, this is like the stuff that made me want to do this job. Is the idea of just sampling anything that you think is cool, yeah. and that Steinsky record for me was like the genesis of everything that I do. Yeah. He just had no holds barred on the stuff that he liked. Yeah. And I think what really holds a lot of music back is people thinking, ah, I should make it sound like this because that's what this genre sounds yeah. like or this is what other people think is cool or what it should be. Yeah. I don't think Steinsky did that. He sampled the Marx Brothers. Yeah. He sampled like 50s commercials. He was a bit of a nerd, wasn't he? He, wasn't he was like... a total nerd. Yeah. Like, and that's, you've got to be. Mm. <laughs> I, I think you've got to yeah. be. You know, I think if you're not a nerd, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, why are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That, I, I can think of exceptions to that rule. Yeah. But on the whole, especially someone um, producing, you've got to be a nerd. Um, and what I loved about Steinsky was that he worked in advertising in okay. New York. He was like an older white guy. And he was just infatuated with this burgeoning hip-hop scene and he would go down to all the clubs and stick out like a sore thumb and just take it all on board and think about all the breaks that they were using and then just throw it all together in one mix that incorporated just the best of everything that he thought was cool. And it's yeah. just such a... Here we are, like, over 30 years later and I still pick apart that record. Yeah. I'm still like, oh, there's that, that one little bit or this one other little bit. There's so much in it. Yeah. I found that listening to Three Feet High and Rising again this week as well. Just it's so dense. Yeah. And I love the way that it was done without computers. Yeah. It's there were so many mistakes. And if you couldn't make music like that now, because people would use Ableton and they'd make everything perfect and pitch shift everything so everything's all in key and yeah. the snares hit at exactly the right time. And that older sampling stuff, it's a mess. Yeah. It's it is a mess. And I love it. It's a glorious yeah. mess like that. You need the like crappy sound quality the dusty vinyl the bad needles all that stuff gives it character i love listening to old blues mm. like re the first blues the blues of the 20s and the yeah. 30s um part of the thing that i love about it is the crackle yeah because i don't think that music would be as good if it was crystal clear quality it's of an era i'm really me for me music is an escape it's yeah. like a place to go to so you've got to have some essence of where that place is in the music. And that's why a lot of 
current music isn't isn't very inspiring to me because it's yeah. made in a box. It's made in a computer, mastered digitally. Everything yeah. sounds crystal clear and perfect, and it doesn't take you anywhere because yeah. of that. It just takes you. It's, that sounds like someone messing around on a computer. Couldn't agree. Um, and so something like Steinsky with the pops and crackles of the vinyl and every all the mistakes in it yeah. is what makes it great to me. Amazing. Before we finish, what's coming up then? So obviously the new album. So you've got the home cooking album, the a tour that I'm doing with it. Um, that's in the second half of April. So, so is that as a as a DJ tour or is that live band? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. so I've got um, some of the singers that are on the album: Eva Lazarus, Joel Culpepper, and Ed O.G. from from Boston, like this kind of original rapper that I grew up listening to, uh, and a live band. So we're traveling around the UK with that in the end of April. Loads of live dates over the summer festivals. That's always going to be the way. So and when's the USB at? Uh, about the same time as the album. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. They'll definitely be with me at shows, uh, but we'll see what we'll do about selling that. But if you just keep an eye on my socials, then okay. uh, you, I'm sure you see me banging on about that as well. Is there a website? DJYoda.co.uk. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yoda, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Cheers. There you go. Cracking episode, right? DJ Yoda. That was a real privilege to sit down with him. Especially to sit in his studio and, and honestly, the, the, the amount of cool shit that was in and around that office, it was quite hard. Thankfully, the conversation was really, really interesting because if it wasn't, it would have been very hard to kind of stay focused because the distractions on them walls were just unbelievable. I've never seen so much cereal in my life. I've never seen... So much vinyl, so much cool retro 80s shit everywhere. It was, it was fantastic. And, uh, and yeah, so thanks for listening anyway. Thanks again to Yoda. Thanks again to Mike for, for sorting that out for us. And yeah, we'll see you next time for another episode. Everything else you need to know about merch, about Patreon, about live shows, about everything else, www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. See you next time. Oh yeah, sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition. There's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Make stew with it. Eat it, boy.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.